2: spring has sprung are you ready for nuclear winter the russians are still in ukraine and the u.n secretary general antonio Guterres uh, hasn't ruled out the possibility of nuclear war think about that for a minute that's the headline on the fox news website quote U.N. Secretary General says nuclear war is within the realm of possibility. Seriously. Nuclear war over Ukraine. One billion people dead because Russia and Ukraine have a disagreement. Now, I'm just a former sports guy with a little radio show here. um, And the last thing I ever want to do is pass myself off as an expert on any of this stuff. I try to find people who are a lot smarter than I am about this stuff and get them on the show and ask them questions. But, but here's my prediction for what it's worth. There will be a negotiated settlement. Zelensky has said that he wants to meet with Putin. And at some point he's going to have to do that or just surrender. Putin is going to end up with some part of Ukraine that he doesn't have right now. Zelensky will be hailed as a hero for standing up to the Russians. Putin will solidify his position as uh, the most evil man in the world. And then life will go on. The government idiots on both sides, all sides actually, uh, will tell the world how close we came to nuclear annihilation, and most, if not all of them, they'll stay in power and forever be living proof that government is a necessary evil and that you should never believe that the people in charge of the government and in charge of you are any smarter or any better than you. And and by the way, after the negotiations, Putin and uh, Zelensky, they're going to have a nice lunch. They'll shake hands. Maybe maybe even smile for the cameras. All the Russian soldiers and pilots and Ukrainian soldiers and citizens who were killed, they'll still be dead and all the buildings will still be destroyed. Zelensky will be considered, uh, still be considered a hero, even if uh, Putin ends up with what he could have had before all those people died. Or there'll be a nuclear war and we'll all be dead. And the big story in Pittsburgh will be that the Steelers signed Mitch Trubisky to be their quarterback. Of course, I could be wrong. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to revisit an interesting story that didn't seem to get a lot of coverage way back then, well, a few years ago. The Clintons, speaking of necessary evil, making millions of dollars for their foundation by selling uranium to the Russians. And in our second half hour, the stupidity of making kids wear masks. Stick around.
3: of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule changing the world one life at a time
4: well i drive a truck for a living i don't get hardly any exercise i'm not kidding you now i'm not easily sold on anything but i'm a firm believer in this product You know, I watched those uh, advertisements for two or three years and listened to the radio going down the road. And I said, something's got to be going on with that product for that many people to do ads for them. And I'll tell you what, I I just uptown a while ago, I told some of my buddies, I said, I'm not BSing you, man. I'm not kidding you. It's amazing. It totally amazes me.
3: Experience the Balance of Nature difference for yourself. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-2468-751. That's 800-2468-751. Or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code SALEM.
2: Right now, get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee with prices set to increase on all exterior products. Lock in your quote today. Schedule a free estimate and inspection today at Pittsburgh.com. You've tried the rest, now try the best. Windows arrest. you've tried the rest, now try the
5: best.
3: Moose is the German Shepherd, now 11, and he's been an amazing dog. Moose is so active and so alert and hasn't had any kind of health problems at all. He has been on dynamite since he's a puppy. Now, Moose, at age 10, had a litter of 10 puppies with a friend's dog. We kept Lupo, his son, and the other puppies were given to friends. But one of the requirements was they must start those puppies on dynamite. And someday if Lupo has puppies, they'll be on dynamite as well. We tell anybody that has a dog, if there was something that you could do, Right from the beginning, so that you don't have expensive veterinary bills. Why would you not do it? Get the Dynavite. Dynavite for life. You won't be How happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E
1: dot com. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. Weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
2: Well, what if you heard today that the uh, United States had just sold 20% of our uranium reserves to Vladimir Putin? Would you wonder what would make that a good idea? Well, it didn't happen today, but it happened, and Hillary and Bill Clinton had a lot to do with making it happen. Mark Hyman is the author of Washington Babylon, From George Washington to Donald Trump, Scandals That Rocked the Nation, and he joins us now. Mark, thanks for being here.
4: Oh, John, it's always a pleasure to be on your show.
2: So when did this happen?
4: Well, it really had its roots going back to the early 2000s. Uh Frank Juster was a Canadian filmmaker. He founded Lionsgate entertainment, made a lot of great movies, but he was also a big supporter of Bill and Hillary Clinton. And somewhere in the early two thousands, 2004, thereabouts, he decided to found a uranium mining company. What was interesting about it is this company had no uranium mines, no uranium assets and no experience in the business, but it did have Bill Clinton as a mentor. So in September of 2005, Frank Chustra flew his private jet to Almaty, the capital of Kazakhstan, where they met with the president, uh, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, who was a despot, who was a former um, Soviet official. He was certainly an iron-fisted dictator of Kazakhstan, just as a, a point of, of reference here. He was reelected nearly with 100% of the vote every election, and even his opponents claim they voted for him. So that's the kind of the country Kazakhstan is.
2: Good campaign so manager.
4: Clinton, oh, yeah, good job. You didn't have to do any advertising. You're yeah. just going to win. So Bill Clinton joined Frank Giusta, flew into Almaty, met with the president, endorsed him for an international election monitoring organization, which kind of ran counter to a guy who cheated in his own elections, and he gave blessing for the government of Kazakhstan to sell three uranium mines to Frank Juicer's company, Eurasia. So you fast forward a couple years later in 2007, a South African mining company merged with Eurasia and it became Uranium One, the second largest publicly traded uranium mining company in the world. And a couple of years later 2009 one of the Kazakhstan officials who had been working with Frank Justra and Bill Clinton had kind of a falling out with the Kazakhstan government. They accused them of corruption and there was a fear that the Kazakhstan government was going to seize these mines in Kazakhstan, owned by Uranium One. And what's interesting is Uranium One officials went to the U.S. Embassy in Almaty, the capital of Kazakhstan, and said, you have to help us out. So U.S. officials, U.S. government officials, State Department officials, w- went and negotiated the Kazakhstan government on behalf of a Canadian company. There were no Americans involved in this at all, except for the ones who were negotiating it. They, sh- they ruffled... They smoothed out the ruffled feathers. The government did not seize the mines, and life kind of went on. Then, in October 2010, Rosatom, which is the Russian-owned energy company, a $70 billion company, put in a a bid to purchase 51% of Uranium One. Now, Uranium One, at this point, had already purchased U.S. uranium mines in eight states in the U.S., 20% of all U.S. uranium assets were already in the portfolio of Uranium One. Because this involved the sale of a strategic asset, the Obama administration had to give approval, which they did. They said, yes, Uranium One, you can sell 50% of your company to the Russian-owned energy company, Rosatom, And they did that, and a couple years later, Rose Adam came back and said, we want to buy the the remainder, the last 49%. And the Obama administration approved that as well. Now, Hillary Clinton was one of these that sat on the committee that reviewed the sale of the strategic asset. And she and everyone else voted unanimously to approve the sale. Now, what was interesting was there were some members of Congress who were very worried about this because they said, oh, my gosh, the Russians have now purchased one-fifth of all U.S. Uranium assets, including a uranium processing facility in Texas. We don't like this at all. And the Nuclear Regulatory Commission said, Don't worry about it. We're not going to give a license to Rosatom or any of its subsidiaries to export any uranium out of the U.S. to another country. And so members of Congress said, Okay, thank you. We feel better about it. But the problem was the Nuclear Regulatory Commission secretly modified an existing license to a third party that allowed it to ship uranium assets out of the country on behalf of Rosatom. So now you've got the Russian government owns one fifth of all U.S. uranium assets in this country, including a uranium processing facility in Texas, and there's a license to export that outside the U.S. In return, Bill and Hillary Clinton received a total of $145 million in contributions to the Clinton Foundation from various parties involved in the sale. Now, in December 2008, Hillary Clinton signed an agreement that said all contributions to the Clinton Foundation will be publicly reported in return for her becoming Secretary of State. Somehow, they, it slipped their mind, and they never reported these $145 million in contributions. This all came out later.
2: And so... Did um, uh, this all began with with someone contacting Bill Clinton and saying, uh, "Listen, I could use your help. I'm trying to buy some uranium, or I'm trying to get into the uranium business," and that that's where it began.
4: That's where it began with a guy who had zero experience in mining, zero experience in uranium, but found uranium mine. But he had Bill Clinton, so yeah, it's got to be quite a sales technique when you go into anyone to do a deal. And right behind you is former president of the United States with his secret service entourage. That's a pretty powerful sales pitch. I would think, and that's exactly what happened. He flew into Frank just flew into the capital of Kazakhstan where the president approves all sales and was able to buy uranium mines. Eventually through the next few years, he was able to purchase us uranium mines, but in the end, it was all sold to Russia.
2: And um, <clears throat> Bill Clinton is a great statesman. We all know that. So he did this only because he thought it uh, would benefit America somehow?
4: You know, it was funny. was that uh, Bill Clinton, after the initial deal was done in 2005, received an invitation for a speaking engagement in Moscow in which he was going to be personally paid $500,000. What's interesting about this was that The last time he was in Moscow for a speaking engagement, he told got paid $200,000. But all of a sudden, when there are bigger sales involved, he makes a whole lot more money. Uh, Look, the Clinton Foundation certainly was very good to the Clintons. Um, Chelsea Clinton was an employee there. Their whole entourage of buddies and and sketchy friends worked for the Clinton Foundation. Everyone kind of made some money out of this. And yet, if you go back and take a look at claims of what the clinton foundation has accomplished over the years it's a pretty thin resume there isn't a whole lot they really accomplished despite collecting almost two billion dollars in in contributions over the life of the foundation
2: and um so the russians and and vladimir putin now own mines in how many states
4: eight states but they have uh, mostly out in the west it's really uh, Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, South Dakota, Texas, and Utah.
2: And how? So, was, how 20- and and nobody in government has a problem with that now. After the fact, after they've seen, I know you, you mentioned what was going on when when the deal was being done, and they thought they were looking at it, and they were apparently either stupid or they were bamboozled. But how how does the government allow that to happen?
4: Well, I certainly have. I've spoken with some of my colleagues who I believe, even as we speak, are asking some questions of the federal government, the Biden administration saying, you know, what is your position on this today? Because everyone seemed to be okay with it back in 2010, 2013. This was well after the whole, remember, the Obama administration said they wanted to do a reset with um, um, Russia. If you recall, early in his first year of president, Barack Obama in June of 2009 traveled to Moscow and met with Vladimir Putin. After he returned, then he announced he was canceling the missile shield that was being built as a, a NATO aligned project in both the Czech Republic and Poland. Isn't it interesting today? We're talking about perhaps we need to provide missile defense for Poland because of the possibility of Russian threats regarding Ukraine. But back in 2009, Barack Obama said Russia is no longer a concern. It's no longer a threat. I'm canceling the missile project to the consternation of both the Polish and the Czech governments. They were unhappy with that. And then people may recall just a couple of years later during the debate, October of 2012, when Mitt Romney, in response to a question from a panelist, said he thought the biggest threat faced by the U.S. was Russia. And Barack Obama mocked him and said, oh, the 1980s called. They want their foreign policy back. So there certainly was an an attitude at least of appeasement, but certainly uh, it was a very friendly attitude towards the Russian government by the the Obama administration. It's hard to believe that any previous president would have sold 20 percent of U.S. uranium assets to the Russian government. But it happened in 2010 and in 2013.
2: And um, you know about this, and now the people listening to this radio show know about it. Um, how how long before somebody, uh, now that Russia has become Russia again, um, how, how will anybody be looking into this further? Is there anything they can do to reverse it?
4: I don't know where that stands at the moment. It might feel difficult to put the genie back in the bottle, but uh, I, I spoke with some of my colleagues who, we work that aspect of, of uh, government reporting, and uh, I think they're asking questions right now. What's the plan? Where do we go from here? What are the options? Certainly, uh, anyone listening to this who's an elected official in federal government perhaps ought to be asking some questions as well. That this is, this is really not in our best interest and certainly not in the best interest of anyone else. When we are, you can read the newspaper headlines, you can hear, the stories on radio and tv and see what's on the internet people are saying we're well, worried about the russians perhaps employ nuclear weapons well it makes it a whole lot easier and we give them the fuel you know the, the, the uh the uranium to make this possible so uh certainly questions should be asked we'll see what happens here in the coming days it was time that i thought i'd bring this out in the public in the open again so people had a chance to realize what had happened because my folks, my, my colleagues over at the New York Times and Washington Post aren't going to report this. It's too unsettling for them.
2: Yeah. We're talking to Mark Hyman. He's the author of Washington Babylon, from George Washington to Donald Trump, Scandals That Rocked the Nation. I saw your piece uh, at Substack. How can people find you at Substack?
4: I'm at markhyman.substack.com. So that's uh, it's actually something I just launched a little while ago. It's uh, some longer-form uh, print pieces that I've decided I wanted to do addressing issues that are topical right now. Certainly this is one of them. Um, the previous column I had published dealt with um, Anthony Fauci. in his role, as some of your listeners, your older listeners, I may recall, back in 1984, it was Fauci who went on these public Um, little media tour, this press junket, and claimed that gay men were spreading AIDS on doorknobs, booths, and toilet seats. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ugly, ugly rumor that took a while to beat back. But he was the sole U.S. health official who went on a chair saying, oh, no, gay men are spreading it everywhere. Mm -hmm. We now know that is absolutely false. But that was... Anthony Fauci back in 1984.
2: Yeah, I want to get to that in a minute because I, I remember some things about that because I was around then and very much aware of what was going on. Um, I just did. Did Hillary, um, when she was Secretary of State, she said that before she before she was approved, uh, her nomination was approved. She promised to disclose all. Um, contributions to the clinton foundation is the or was the money that was given uh, was used to w- raised uh after the uh uranium one deal was that the only uh, portion of her money that she did not disclose do you know
4: oh no no there, there was quite a bit more and i don't remember all of them off the top of my head a lot yeah. of these came to light during the uh, uh the hack if you want to call it that of the john podesta emails and some yeah. of the um, the DNC emails, once that got out there, there was a lot more information about where contributions had come from um, that had really been kept off the books, so to speak, because the Clinton Foundation didn't have any legal requirement to publicly disclose, disclose all of their contributions and where they came from. And they certainly didn't. You know, and I just want to make one quick point Here's an aside. If people still talk about the hack of. Podesta emails and the Democratic National Committee emails. And there's this belief that the Russians had stolen those. And just to refresh everyone's memory, back in the spring of 2016, when those DNC emails became available, the FBI went to the DNC and said, hey, we would like to take a look at your server and go through all your equipment and figure out how these emails were taken from you. And the DNC said, absolutely not. We've hired a company called CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike, They're going to do all the analysis, and they will tell you what took place. Surprisingly, the FBI agreed to that. CrowdStrike came out uh, a few weeks later and said, yes, the Russians hacked the uh, DNC emails. They took everything, which was the official position of Robert Mueller in his report that was delivered in March of 2019. What's interesting was CrowdStrike had an executive by Sean Henry who testified in private closed-door session in December 2017 about this, and he said, we have no evidence that the DNC was hacked, no evidence that it was the Russians who did it. It's merely our opinion. So yeah. the, hack, the hack, however these emails got out, they became available in the spring of 2016, 18 months And immediately thereafter, CrowdStrike said it was the Russians who hacked it and stole the emails. Mueller continued with that story even in his final report in March of 2019. Yet in closed door session, under oath, a CrowdStrike official told the House Permanent, the House Intelligence uh, Committee that they had no evidence that they were, that the DNC was hacked or that the Russians had did it. It was merely their opinion. Well, Even today, people get it wrong and they still talk about that there was this Russian hack. But there's no evidence that ever happened.
2: Hey, Mark, I'm out of time. Uh, The book is Washington Babylon from George Washington to Donald Trump, Scandals that Rock the Nation. You can find them at at Substack.com. Always good to have you on. Hope to have you again, Mark. Thanks. Thanks, John.
6: Okay, we'll be right back.
0: With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. Artillery has pounded Kiev's northwestern outskirts. Correspondent Charles de la Desma
5: has a report on the fighting. The city's state emergency agency has released a video of firefighters rescuing an elderly woman who's carried out on a stretcher in agonizing pain and terrified. Authorities say artillery had hit the nine-story apartment building in a northern district of the city early Monday morning, setting part of the block on fire, destroying several floors of the building. There were no immediate reports of casualties. I'm Charles de Ladesma. The average
0: U.S. price of regular grade gasoline shot up 80 cents a gallon over the past two weeks, up to $4.43, according to industry analyst Troby Lundberg. This is SRN News.
7: Hi, I'm cute kid number one. And I'm cute kid number two. And we have been forced. You mean hired. We have been hired. To tell you what direct lender FOMO is. So let's say you buy a new home and maybe you use one of those big mortgage monsters or someone your realtor or friend recommends. And then a few months later, you hear us being forced, hired, hired to tell you about our mortgage team's direct lender advantage. And then you feel like you missed out because you probably did miss out. And that is direct lender FOMO.
5: It's Ryan, and our mortgage team is an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender. Which means, our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This often allows us to get you a better rate on that new home mortgage, saving you monthly and lifelong money. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Middle Park, Middle New York, Licensed Mortgage, banker. for all licensing information, good, Animals, Consumer, Access, Total, or Corporate Animals, Number 1335, Rec, Animals, Number 65233, Equal Housing Lender, license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah.
1: AM 1250. The answer,
2: Larry Elder. Juicy A was sentenced to 150 days, but he's
0: assured us that he doesn't intend to kill himself. He told the judge, Your Honor, I'm not suicidal. I'm not suicidal. If I did this, I would say it. I'm not suicidal.
2: He's laying the groundwork so in the event that he ends up dead, we'll all know he didn't kill himself. The only thing he's ever killed has been his career. Ooh. Ooh. Elder went there. Yes, he did. TMI
0: on the next Larry Elder Show. The Larry Elder Show. Weeknights at 7 on AM 1250. The answer.
1: The uh uh-ohs are out there. Scratches, dents, unexpected natural events. But with Mako and their magic, your car is no longer tragic. So when life throws you uh uh-ohs, just say,
6: Better get Mako.
1: And go to mako.com to book your appointment today.
6: Uh Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed.
5: Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you're with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, you're paying too much for your wireless service because PureTalk gives you the exact same 5G coverage as one of those big carriers on the exact same network, but saves the average family over $800 a year. And Pure talk doesn't lock you into an overpriced unlimited data contract. Why pay for data you don't need? Instead, get unlimited talk, text, and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. And switching is so easy. You can keep your phone and keep your number. Or get huge discounts on the latest iPhones and Androids. So what are you waiting for? Start saving today. Go to puretalk.com, type in your address to find the coverage at your home, then enter promo code off, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code HALFOFF. Pure PureTalk is simply smarter well, no shortage of delays for your Monday afternoon on the Parkway East. That looks like the slowest one outbound from Glenwood up to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. More than a 10-minute delay on the inbound side. Pretty heavy. Also, county jail to the Fort Pitt Bridge. Parkway West, actually not too bad. Just minor delays inbound into the tunnel. Outbound 51 Heavy Midwood Avenue up to Maytide Street. Slow go outbound 28 Butler Street up to the Highland Park Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson.
0: AM twelve fifty. The answer. Weather.
5: Partly cloudy skies expected for tonight. We'll see a nighttime low of thirty six. Tomorrow we'll have intervals of clouds and sunshine. The ground will still be wet and muddy from recent snowmelt. We'll reach a high of fifty eight. A moonlit sky expected for tomorrow night with a low of thirty seven. Wednesday will be mild. We'll see a blend of sun and clouds. Expect a high Wednesday of sixty five. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon.
0: This is the John Stecker-Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer.
2: Uh, yesterday I went to a, uh, a mall in Robinson Township, not an indoor mall, a strip mall. And I was going into one of the stores. I noticed a young woman sitting outside on a bench. It was cold, but it was a beautiful sunny day. She was by herself. She was wearing a mask. Uh, and every employee in the store, when I did go in, I noticed was wearing a mask. So uh, when is it going to end? It hasn't ended for a lot of kids, may not until the end of the school year, believe it or not, in some places. They're still being made to wear masks. Leslie Bienen is a veterinarian and professor of public health at the Oregon State, Portland State School of Health. And she has a piece uh, at City Journal that explains how humans are different from animals and why masks are bad for everybody, especially kids. Leslie, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming on. Hi. So, Thank you for having me. So we hear a lot from adults uh, now who say they're, and they, we've been hearing it now for a couple of years, uh, my kids are perfectly okay with masks. It's just not a problem. They're, they're doing fine. Why are they wrong?
7: Well, they might be wrong or right, but the reason I wrote that piece was because I wanted to write about uh, the refrain that you just mentioned that I have often heard over and over. I live in Portland. Um, that the kids don't mind or my kid is fine. And the reason I wanted to write about it is that, you know, kids have evolved over millions of years, humans have evolved, um, so that children's job evolutionarily is to please adults because you can't survive without adults feeding them and giving them resources and shelter. So we're really hardwired to you know, maintain adult's approval. And because of that, I don't think that judging from the outside whether a child, quote-unquote, minds something, is a reasonable metric to determine if it's good or bad for them.
2: Yeah, you, you write about how human babies um, rely on their parents for a lot longer than other mammals. Uh, you know, I guess uh, anybody who's seen what an 8-week-old puppy can do compared to an 8-week-old human... <laughs> Uh, knows that, uh, and you're a veterinarian, so you obviously see that all the time. Why are facial expressions so important to human kids?
7: I think they're important to most higher mammals, honestly. Um, but I guess the main thing I would say is that we really don't know the answer to that question. I mean, we know that we've evolved, of what our brains have evolved to have specific areas that are devoted to facial recognition. And because of that, because we have parts of our brain that are set aside to do that, I think it's very, very unlikely that uh, facial recognition and expressions aren't extremely important to our psyche, because there's just no way that those would have evolved as specialized neurons otherwise. Why would we do that? It would be complete waste. Um, And space in your brain is very, very precious. You wouldn't put aside anything in your brain to do something if it wasn't very, very useful. So I'm really concerned that we just don't know what the effects of sorting those things are. That's never been done. We've never masked children um, for prolonged periods of time, so we have no clue what the effects are.
2: But you have people like the American Academy of Pediatrics, as you point out in your piece, uh, the uh, the AAP uh, has said that masking kids. that nah, don't worry about it. It won't. It won't impede their language development. Why would they say that? And why are they wrong?
7: I can't speculate about why they would say that. I'm not a member of that organization. I think they're parroting something we've seen a lot throughout the pandemic, which is to say that because there isn't evidence of a harm, that the intervention is harmless. Um, This is really flipping on its head the paradigm of public health, which is that we do things because they work, not because we have a lot of evidence, um, not because we don't have evidence they're harmful. And it's really tautological because, of course, we don't have evidence that masking, you know, two-year-olds or three-year-olds for two years is harmful because it's never been done. How could we have that evidence? So that's not how medicine and public health is conducted. And I wrote a piece in the Atlantic um, with with my co-authors, stressing that you know, first do no harm is the most basic tenet of of medicine. So that means you don't wait around to see what the evidence of harms are before you stop doing something.
2: How would someone? I don't think you have to be a scientist, a doctor, a veterinarian. Uh, to, to not think that it's a bad idea to make a three-year-old kid run around with a mask on. And not, to, not only that, but be in school with teachers who are also wearing masks and they can't see the teacher's face.
7: It seems like a very bad idea to me, especially given that there's really no compelling evidence of doing anything useful. You know, if someone was able to show me data that this was having a major effect on COVID transmission or saving lives or, you know, preventing hospitalizations, then we could talk about the balance, balancing those harms and benefits. But right now those, those data don't exist. So we're just doing something that seems like you said, obviously on the face of it to be kind of a bad idea without any contradictory evidence on the other side that it's doing something beneficial.
2: And uh, in New York city, I think they still have the, 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 the only, the only, humans wearing masks uh, um, with a mandatory mask um, uh, directive is uh, the only humans doing that are the kids and two to five.
7: Yes, that's correct. And I think Mayor Adams said he was planning on revisiting that policy. I hope sooner rather than later. It, it seems
8: uh, quite
2: I know you don't know the answer to this, but I, this guy's the mayor of, of a city with uh, eight million people. Somebody is telling him that that's a good idea. I don't think somebody like that comes up with the idea on his own. Um, sh- Doesn't shouldn't he have medical advice that would tell him, hey, Mr. Mayor, this this there's no indication. Number one, that this helps them prevent uh, catching helps to prevent them from catching the disease, and this isn't good. It's, it's, it's not good. It's a three year old kid.
7: Think. Although, like we said, the, the AAP has consistently supported that policy, so he does have some justification in terms of what govern you know governing bodies in the field are saying, um, and not a lot of organized. Pediatricians certainly speaking out against it. I mean, there's certainly pediatricians here and there, um, but you know that is like their major organizational body. So,
2: well, I have a friend who's a um, who's a, uh, she's retired, but she she taught uh, in, in uh, elementary school, I think fifth grade, and when she heard about this um, that the that the teachers had to wear a mask, she said. I can't imagine not being a, my, the kids I taught not being able to see my facial expression. She said I had looks that I could give a kid. They knew exactly mm-hmm. what was going on and, and that I would disapproved. Or she didn't go into detail about what each individual face meant, but you know the kids figured it out. They, could, they the teacher's upset. Look at her face. Yeah, not
7: to mention being able to see someone who was moving, you know, to see the way they form words or the way their words and their sounds and their lip movements sync up, but these are all important parts of, of learning to read and learning to speak and all those things. So, and I, I teach college. I do not like teaching in an office. I've done it multiple times, but it's certainly not, not preferred. I just think so much is lost, and they can't see a smile. They can't.
2: Well, and it's very you,
7: hard to read expressions with just face
2: showing. Well, and as you said, um, they don't really know uh, what what the effects of uh, kids wearing a mask for two years, uh, little kids wearing a mask for two years, not just uh, prior to five years old, but all the kids wearing masks. They they really don't know, uh, and won't know for a while. I'm guessing um, what the effects of that are. Will they?
7: No, I I think it will take a very long time. Um, One thing I'm hopeful about is that, you know, young people's brains are very plastic and they can recover and they can learn, you know, faster than adults, generally speaking. So hopefully when we do start getting masks off kids, there will be a rapid progression, you know, back to to normal, I hope, and toward learning those skills they've been missing the past couple of years. And some of of the children who are in full-time daycare, for example, they might not have seen anyone besides their parents or siblings' faces without masks for now two years. It's pretty shocking.
2: Yeah, you have four- and five-year-old kids seeing mostly masked faces, really, for most of the time that they've been upright. That they've been out there walking around. They, uh, it, 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 I don't think, is it possible even for an adult to grasp what that might mean to a, a three-year-old kid or a four-year-old kid who, from the time he's been aware of his existence on the planet, he, he hasn't seen anybody without a mask other than his parents or his, his brothers and sisters? I, yeah, I don't think we have any
7: good idea of what that will mean at all. And so, and, you know, throughout the pandemic, we've seen that, in my opinion, low-income people have suffered the most from these policies. And that would certainly include, you know, children who, whose parents can't afford nannies or someone to be home with them where that person's case would be exposed you know, because they're just one-on-one in the home.
2: Well, hey, um, Leslie, I appreciate you coming on the show. And um, the, the piece you can be found at uh, city-journal.org. And uh, for any teacher or school administrator who still thinks the kids should be wearing masks, it's really a piece you all should read. And I hope everybody learns from it, Leslie. Thank you.
7: Well, thank you for having
2: me. Okay, we'll be right back.
8: Why Doing It Right Roofing, Siding, and Remodeling? It's simple. It's in their name. Doing It Right uses only top quality materials and employs the best installation and management people to install and oversee your project. Family owned and operated for 38 years and with over 45 years of industry experience, you can be confident that your project will be installed the correct way. You'll receive a lifetime labor warranty from Doing It Right. Doing It Right is going to install per manufacturer and NRCA specifications for a complete and headache-free installation. Doing It Right is an Owens Corning Platinum Contractor James Hardy, preferred contractor. Most importantly, they're affordable, offering great financing options and accepting all major credit cards. Be sure to mention Dennis Prager for a discount off your roofing, siding, and remodeling estimates. Call 724-NEW-ROOF or visit their website at roofingcontractorpittsburgh.com.
9: What if I told you your home movies are already past their prime? It's true. The magnetic tape used in VHS and camcorder tapes only lasts between 10 to 20 years, which means your baby's first steps, weddings, and a family vacations are fading away as we speak. Digitizing your old media with Legacy Box stops this fading process in its tracks. And by preserving your recordings, they're safe forever. Legacy Box is simply the best way to preserve your past, which is why they've been trusted by over 1 million families. Your memories are meant to be shared, not chewed up by the VCR or worn away with time. For a limited time, you can convert your tapes to digital for just $9 a tape. There's never been a better time to convert your entire collection. That includes film reels and photos, too. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to get our $9 sale. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX to unlock our $9 offer. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. Let me ask you, what does your perfect wedding day look like? I'll bet you've imagined it over and over again. The crisp spring air, the fresh grass giving way beneath you as you walk towards your future, surrounded by the people you love the most. So what's in the way of you believing it's possible for you to have it? Are you believing the lie that you are meant to be alone? Or maybe you don't know what a Christian romance should look like or where to find it. Hi, I'm Jackie Dorman, and I invite you to join me in my free Married in 12 Months Challenge, where you will discover your heart's desire of a loving marriage. In this challenge, I'll teach you why now's your time to find love, what are the lies that are holding you back, why God wants you married, the biblical law of attraction and the tools to become a bride. Don't wait any longer. Just sign up for my free Married in 12 Months 5-Day Challenge at lovestories.com and you can start your journey to find that lasting, loving relationship now. Join me at lovestories.com.
6: You've all heard it in the news, folks. Heating costs are surging through the roof. But right now, Eden Pure is offering an amazing discount on their Gen 40 heater. This five-pound Gen 40 produces 50% more heat than the big-box heaters that are seven times its size. The Gen 40 superheater is efficient. It produces infrared heat using advanced micro-solid-state technology with built-in safety shutoffs. And it comes with a remote control for you. So for a limited time, the Eden Pure Gen 40 is 200 Dollars off the regular price. People all over the country are reporting massive savings on their heating bills. So keep warm and save money because right now it's the perfect time to buy more than one. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Use discount code RADIO20. That's RADIO20 and you'll get an additional $20 off. That's $220 total savings by going to EdenPureDeals.com right now. Use discount code RADIO20. That's RADIO20 and shipping is free. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer.
2: A little sports note here to finish up. Um, If you've been paying attention to the signings of... uh, The free agency basically began today for the NFL, and uh, the Steelers signed Mitch Trubisky to be their, um, well, maybe their starting quarterback. Uh, He could end up getting beaten out um, by Mason Rudolph, we'll see. But uh, right now he would be the favorite to be their... their, um, Starting quarterback, but the reason I bring that up is that uh, I think it was last week that um, that Aaron Rodgers of the Packers signed a deal where he will make, if he plays through the the whole contract, fifty million dollars a year. Think about that: three million dollars plus a game if it's sixteen million dollars a game. I mean, uh, if uh, sixteen games and fifty million dollars, a little over three million a game. So I tell you that because. The Buffalo Bills are about to get a record amount of public funding for a new stadium. Uh, The governor up there, Kathy Hochul, who's a a Buffalo native and an idiot, is expected to announce in the next several days a deal where New York State and Erie County will agree to pay $1 billion toward a $1.4 billion stadium that will be built right next to the one that's there now in Orchard Park. Now, here's the thing. Heinz Field was built in 2000. It cost $281 million. I went to the inflation calculator. You should check that out sometime, by the way. It's very – just Google inflation calculator, and you can find out what $281 million in, in 2000 would be in 2022 And it's $481 million. That means that in 2022 dollars, the Buffalo Bills' new stadium will cost a billion dollars more than Heinz Field. Now you tell me where they're coming up with a billion dollars more. Do you think they could build a pretty nice little stadium for $400, $400 million? I don't know what's going to be in this place that's going to be... a cost a billion dollars more than what... You could rebuild Heinz Field, apparently, right up there in Orchard Park. You could just build a replica of Heinz Field up there, which is a perfectly uh, nice stadium for the Steelers still, for $450, $480 million. They're going to spend a billion dollars more, not of their own money, but of the taxpayers' money. Uh, And uh, the proposal is part of the New York budget and it has to be submitted by April 1st to the state legislature. And if it passes, the stadium uh, would be able to open as soon as 2026 only 4 years. The bills owner is Terry Pagula. He's a he made his money in fracking, so I like him for that. But he's worth 7 billion dollars. And He was threatening to move the team out of Buffalo if he didn't get public funding to build a new stadium. And let me just tell you, I don't blame Terry Pagula for one second. Because if you are a businessman and you can figure out a way to have somebody hand you a billion dollars, then you do it. If it's all legal uh, and these are elected officials that are going to do it, the people who elected them can unelect them if they don't like the idea. So I don't blame the Roonies for taking the money for Heinz Field. The Rooney shouldn't have gotten a dime, not a dime, to build Heinz Field, nor should the Pirates have gotten a dime to build PNC Park. Build it yourself. And But here's the thing. If you go back to 2000, I don't have it in front of me here, but um, the average salary in the NFL, I don't know what it was, but it, it, it was probably – a fourth of what it is now, maybe, maybe less. Um, guys weren't signing fifty million dollar a year contracts. So when the Steelers got built, uh, got the money for Heinz Field, they weren't they weren't paying the kind of money out that the teams are paying now. And here's the thing: if you you can, if it's a debt service, whatever it's called, the, the whatever method you use to uh, fi- uh, fund the stadium, and I think a debt service is just another name for a mortgage. What would the mortgage payments be for 30 years on 1.4 billion? Would they be any more than uh, I don't know, 50 billion a year, 100 billion a year? I mean 100 million a year? Well you're paying you're paying one player 50 million dollars a year. You got 53 players on your roster. You've got people if you if you look at the signings today and over the next few days when this is going on, you will see players you've never heard of even if you're an NFL fan. You will see players you've never heard of signing play uh, signing contracts for 50, 60 million. Some of them not guaranteed, but some of them are for a couple of years and some of them they'll include signing bonuses so that they know they're going to get 25 or 30 million of the 60 million up front. And the Buffalo the, the, the governor of New York is going to give the owner of the Buffalo Bills 1 billion dollars after of course She confiscates it from the citizens of Buffalo, many of whom couldn't care less about the Buffalo Bills. That's what's going on up in New York. We're going to look into that some more, maybe tomorrow. I'll talk to you then. Bye.
0: The John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.